on this episode of the program. We have Evan Scrimshaw to help us handicap who the next Speaker of the House is going to be. And we bring on Michael Cohen to talk about how and why campaigns die. Because with October, the funky stench of death is hanging around this GOP primary. We're going to see some very soon. Let's go ahead and get on with it. This is made possible by Oh Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for Friday, October 6th, 2023-year-old pal Justin Robert Young joining you from HQ here in Austin, Texas. Obviously, the vacation of Kevin McCarthy from the Speaker of the House is the big news. And while the Republicans are fumbling behind the scenes to see who will be the new speaker, which doesn't seem like the coolest job in the world right now. We are going to give you a few names to look at, and we're going to handicap the odds. Thanks to our political betting expert, our friend, Evan Scrimshaw from thelines.com. Welcome back to the show, Evan. Thanks for having me, man. I always love hopping on. Well, I mean, and and geez, if there's ever a time to have a political odds maker in the quiver, this is the time because we have quite possibly in a world, politics is not really a world where there's a ton of upsets. You know, sometimes during election nights, you'll have things that have slipped through the cracks or trends that you didn't catch. But this is unprecedented. Not only have we never seen a speaker vacated, but at this point. I don't even know where to to start in terms of handicapping who the next speaker is going to be. Yeah, I think the main point that I want to get across is that whoever we think is the favorite, like they have a much less than 50 percent chance of winning. Like take the field over any individual person. And you're right, because this is wide open this is going to take a long time and anybody who thinks that this is going to be settled wednesday when the gop have their internal caucus election is i've got beachfront property in uh wichita kansas for you buddy (laughs) all right well let's talk about the favorites and there are only two if you have another one then feel free to speak up but it's steve scalise who technically would be the next in line although he's recovering from cancer uh, and then Jim Jordan, who has been mentioned a lot and said today, as we are recording this on Wednesday, that he is in for the speakership. Uh, do you have any other names before we start chopping those two up that are favorites? I mean, Kevin Hearn, who's the head of the Republican study committee is saying he's going to run, but I suspect that that's him putting his name out there so he can run for whip or something else. So, no, I think those two are the clear top two, and then it's, we'll get to that. And then it's chaos, right? So, uh, uh, let's start with Scalise. Uh, Scalise was somebody that even 
Matt Gates on the Sunday shows <laughs> back when he thought that <clears throat> this whole process was going to be something that would go for 15 different ballots. Uh, it was it was pretty obvious, at least on Sunday. He didn't think this was going to work, but he was very, very clear about Sc- Scalise needs to be honored here. Scalise uh, uh, should be mentioned uh, uh, that he is the next name down the list. What are the whys and why nots for Steve Scalise? So Scalise has been in the literature for a long time. He's well-respected across multiple factions of the conference. He's a bit of a Republican hero. I mean, not only does he have cancer right now, he also was shot in 2017. He got shot. He's like which 57. no one talks about this. Like, no one I, remembers I, that this shooting happened. But, like, yeah. Steve Scalise got shot. Like a, a politically motivated shooting. If he died, it would have been an assassination. It, w- it was a politically motivated attack. Yeah, for at the practice for the congressional baseball game. Anyways, sorry. Uh, but he's well known. He's got a good whip operation. He won a contested caucus vote for whip back in 2014, I believe. And that was with a conference that was probably more moderate overall than this one is with another eight years of churn to the right. Um, uh, Matt Gates doesn't seem to hate him, which helps. Yeah. So you'd think, okay, Considering cool. that Matt Gates is now the most powerful man in the Republican Party, at least in congressionally. Right. So you think, okay, he has his base. He's a Southerner. He should be able to command the Southern caucuses. You know, okay, makes sense. The problem is some McCarthy loyalists are pissed at Scully's. Because yeah. there have been long simmering tensions between the two of them. They don't think Scalise did enough to protect him. They don't think Scalise tried hard enough to stop Matt Gates. And Jake Sherman at Punchbowl has already said that there are, you know, mumblings, rumblings in D.C. that, you know, they're going to try and stop him getting the 218. And this is, I think, the big point that everyone is missing. Yeah, there's yeah. the internal caucus ballot. And in theory, um, Scalise only needs 112 votes. But five people... Yeah. Or maybe six, because we don't know if Mary Paltola will be um, in D.C. anytime soon because of uh, her husband's uh, uh, unfortunate, untimely death. Yeah. So, but six people can say no to any speaker. And if six Kevin McCarthyites say no to Steve Scalise, or six moderates who don't like the fact that Scalise has a um, checkered past with Louisiana politics and David Duke, let's just say, yeah. um, then they can just stop him from being speaker. They can stop him from being speaker. So this is a complete and utter cluster expletive because yeah. six people have a veto. So the 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 hidden blade here is the fact that we don't know where the jilted McCarthy faction is going to land. And right now, of the people being mentioned, the one that they feel personally kind of betrayed by is Scully's. Right. And Jim Jordan, at the very least, has been a you know loyal McCarthy uh, lieutenant. He you know, when he when he switched sides, he switched sides like he he, he was a he was a McCarthy critic. He got on the team. And it seemed like as far as you could ask for Jim Jordan's loyalty, he had it for McCarthy uh, until the end. So right. you th- know, there's, never, there's that. There's been no reporting, no rumbling, no, no anything, no DC gossip that like secretly he was coordinating with Gates. Obviously, yeah. uh, they tried to make uh, uh, Jim Jordan speaker in January and he steadfastly refused to even entertain he said the notion. No. Yeah. You know. 
So that's going to be super fascinating. Of course, Jim Jordan has his own scandals. He's even more right-wing than Steve Scalise, which is an accomplishment. Um, I don't know if you're Mike Lawler or any of the New York or California Democrat Republicans in Biden districts. I don't know if you can vote for Jim Jordan to be speaker, because uh, that feels like a pretty big dent to your reelection hopes. But then again, can any of those people get reelected if they don't have if they don't pick between Scalise and like you have to have somebody driving the bus at a certain point. Right. right. And this like fictional idea that six of these Republicans will just, you know, oh, make Henry require our speaker. It's like, guys, you do realize that they would all be ending their political careers and freshman congressmen don't want to get primaried instantly. Well, besides the fact that uh, I think bipartisanship is now officially a dirty word in the house right like after a speaker who made a bipartisan deal gets humiliated for all of time i think i think we're not going to see a lot of reaching across the aisle uh unless it's absolutely necessary and everybody is holding their nose while they're doing it right yeah like there's no like this compromise speaker stuff is it, it was it was yeah, a now, dream no, before this it, week and it's it just deader just, than no, dead now it's, it's, uh, like the the moment that it wasn't even a vote your conscience thing from the Democrats. It was a concerted thing for the Democrats to Chuck McCarthy. We're done with with any kind of fuzzy uh, uh, Aaron Sorkin speech and a, and a third way kind of solutions here. That's a wrap. And it might be a wrap for years. Oh, yeah. No, the damage the damage that this week has done is immense because. The thing the thing that can keep D.C. going is some form of goodwill. And it's yeah. all gone, right? And McCarthy and Patrick McHenry are pissing on whatever goodwill is left on the other side by being vindictive to Steady Wire and Nancy Pelosi, you know, kicking her out of her office yep. while she's literally in San Francisco for uh, DiFi's funeral. For, for Feinstein's funeral. But yeah, I mean, but that but that shows you where we're at. Right? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. we're just, like, there's, there's, they feel like they're, they're joker pilled. Right. Like they are just they are just totally the the everything they worked for totally pissed away. Kevin McCarthy's probably gonna be growing weed with John Boehner in a year and a half. Like it is it's it's over. It's done. Like this is this is now a bottle rocket without a stem for I mean, because cause here's the other thing. And and this is, you know, I made this point on 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 another podcast, but I don't think now that Matt Gates won, the standard for an insurgent uh, representative on either side in a slim majority is Matt Gates. Like, if you're not willing to do what Matt Gates did, you're not doing enough. That's now what you do. And it's going to make slim majorities, which are likely going to be what we see in, in the House for a while. It, th- this is not going to change. This is this is the new normal. Yeah, and and especially on the, the Republican side, because like there's somewhat more like internal respect from the left of the Democratic Party to to the center. Um, there is no such respect for Matt Gates. Matt Gates does not give a single, uh, you know, what if Mike Lawler or Brandon Williams or whoever gets reelected in these tough mind districts, he doesn't care. You know, he doesn't. Give no, a single sh- but but also it's like even from the left on on the. You know, in, in, in the Democratic Party, all that respect is predicated on the idea that you can get something done for me later, that sticking together and being a team will mean that I can bring something back to the people that I uh, uh, I answer to. 
And that timetable, I think, is now going to be shorter than ever. And it's it's hard when you go back and face activists to to not say, well, why aren't you doing what Matt Gates did? Like, why aren't you fighting? Why are like, like I don't know if we're going to see that motion to vacate move up past one after watching it be as effective as it was. Yeah, and it's certainly the case that the uh, left of the Democratic Party uh, is, you know, sort of crowing about the idea that you see AOC and the squad could have done this and they failed us. Yeah. Um, if you check out that certain ex-press sex Twitter account right now, um, <laughs> yeah, the pressure is going to intensify on the left if in 2024, you know, they Jeffrey have a similar says, majority, you know, similar size. Yeah. And that was the thing that that was crazy to me with like with 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 Jeffries is like, you know, I, I think that there's a very, very real world where we look back on this uh, in in a few years and we're like, boy, did you know what you were bringing into the world? <laughs> did, did, did you did you realize what what, you know, getting your conference all gassed up on face the nation clips was going to actually unfold for your speakership when you take the helm? Yeah, I so I agree with the idea that Democrats shouldn't have just bailed at McCarthy for nothing. I also think that there could have been like, I, I don't think the price they needed to take was huge, like a Ukraine funding package and like some agreement to put, you know, one Democratic priority that gets through the Senate on the floor. Yeah. I don't think McCarthy would have said no to that. And I'm kind of surprised that they didn't that there wasn't. You know, maybe Jeffries and McCarthy didn't could never get in a room and negotiate. But like, we all know that there's back channels between the leaderships on both sides all the time. Like, no one could have got could have spent Tuesday and the first half of Wednesday in a room trying to put something together. I don't know. It's I that's that's what blew me away. Of all of this is weird. What what blew me away is I think, and even the mood in the chamber after the vote went down was was this like, oh wait, nobody stopped it. Like we, we thought somebody else was going to stop it <laughs> and, and then it happened and it's like, like, oh, OK, there weren't a whole lot of back slappings or applause or handshakes. Like it was just a bunch of stunned silence of like, oh, wow. I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I I've said in, in a few different places, this felt like the largest congressional example of when keeping it real goes wrong. Everybody was was very excited to make their points. And now we're all going to have to live with it. But uh, uh, it's it's wow. I, I, I'm still wrapping my head around exactly what the uh, what, what the ramifications of this are going to be. I mean, I, I, I tweeted a joke Wednesday afternoon as we're recording this. Um, just a Spotify screenshot of uh, the Smiths uh, started something I couldn't yeah. finish. <laughs> and I think that is that is the best way to describe specifically Matt Gates's decisions, but like the decisions of everybody this week is no one knows where this ends. Nope. We have to, you know, you're going to have to pass another CR within 40 days, which good. Good luck getting a speaker. Um, like in, in that time, good luck getting a speaker. There's going to be no appropriate like this. This mythical, the GOP passed the CR to get the appropriation stuff done. No, because they're going to burn 10 sitting days on the speaker. Um, any goodwill is completely gone, as we just said. Uh, Mitch McConnell seems to be losing control of his caucus. 
a little bit like the the climb down on Saturday where Mitch went into the room saying we're passing Ukraine funding and then walked out saying uh, apparently yeah. we're not doesn't seem particularly auspicious like this is going to be a hell of a fall. All right. Well, let's get back to the handicapping. So we we think that both Scalise and Jordan are pro, are are weak favorites. They are they are nominally they have to be said as favorites, but we think that there's probably some other names out there. So let's say and and predicted did not have a market up for this as of uh, uh, this morning at the very least. But let's say that you're you're, you're sprinkling a little bit on some on some on some dark horse names. Give us some dark horse names of people that might bubble up. So I'm gonna I I think. Elise Stefanik is my like supreme dark horse. She's conference chair. She was the number three in the minority, um, or back when they were in the minority in the last Congress. Um, woman would be a pretty useful political signal post if you're trying to get um, your abortion problem solved. Uh, New York, which means that she would be able to command all of those Biden district Republicans. Uh, Trump's a big fan of her. That could be the compromise. I think all of this, like, oh, what if we made Trump speak? That's just people trying to get on Fox News. I would ignore it. Yeah. The and then the other thing is, you would just start to look at the committee chairs. But McHenry doesn't seem like he wants it. He would be logical. Chip Roy is too much of a disruptor, but he's he has the ego for it. Scott Perry will probably try just because he's chair of the Freedom Caucus, but I don't think that's going to work. I Stefanik is the only one that really makes any sense to me as somebody who can unify, mostly because she has stayed out of all of the fights. She's just the number four. She hasn't really done anything for a while, was a rising star, and then kind of plateaued. Like She seems like the only person who doesn't have you know, uh, knives in her back. The baggage. Yeah, no one seems to hit yeah, her right now, yeah. and that's the thing. I don't. She said. She said. She said some stuff, but it's more media stuff, and and that is that is a really really good name. All right, we we will have to keep an eye out for it. Uh, uh, thank you so much, uh, Evan, for joining us. I'm sure we will talk a lot about this uh, going forward. Where can people find you? Uh, politics writing. NFL and hopefully some hockey over at thelines.com. Political writing of different, mostly Canadian nature. Although that U.S. will ramp up when when yes. uh, when things start happening in the U.S. next year. It's just the Republican primary is too boring for me to bother writing about. Uh, over at yeah. scrimshawnscripted.substack.com. Uh, jokes, tweets, and other nonsense at twitter.com slash eScrimshaw. I still call it Twitter because that's it. And uh, I have a question for you quickly. Who are you? Uh, do you do you care at all about the Red River? I do not. Aside from the fact that I like Austin happy because that's where I live. But uh, it seems like they like the Texans are or the the uh, uh, UT is for real. So that's pretty good. I'm happy about that. Uh, uh, all right, uh, Evan, thank you. It's stunning that Texas might actually be back. Thanks, man. This is your update brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Look, I don't know how many times that I can tell you that this is the season when you want to be on our $3 level. Because any and all news about this speaker fight that is updated on Thursday, you got in a bonus episode yesterday. When 
the Sunday shows come around and you're going to have a lot of people spilling a lot of feelings this week on the Sunday shows. Oh my God. Will we have all of the best clips for you on the $3 level? Those are two bonus exclusive podcasts that you only get. If you are on our Patreon, take politics seriously.com. Look, this is just a great week to try it out. If you wanted to spend $3 just to try it out, Good time to spend $3, just saying. But here's the rest of the news. Governor Ron DeSantis has disclosed a $15 million fundraising quarter alongside plans to relocate a significant portion of his staff from Florida to Iowa, accentuating his efforts in the pivotal caucus state. The move follows a DeSantis experiences a dip in primary polling, although retaining a strong standing in Iowa. Amidst this, DeSantis has been actively challenging former President Trump, reflecting a strategic pivot as he seeks to solidify his position in the upcoming elections. He's betting it all. He is all in on Iowa. He wants to have a strong showing. If he can beat Trump in Iowa, then the race is different. At least that's his perspective. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but that is obviously what DeSantis' campaign believes in. The Trump campaign has done nothing but taunt him. And uh, for good reason, there has not really been a material change in this race. And if anything, DeSantis seems to have surrendered the one thing for which he had, which is that he was polling better than Biden or polling better than Trump against Biden. Now that's not the case. Trump is polling better than Biden and DeSantis is polling behind Biden. Nobody wants a less generally electable Trump. Everybody wants a more generally electable Trump, and that's hard because right now Trump is more generally electable than he was before. So that's all there is. Allies of former Speaker Kevin McCarthy are expressing their dissatisfaction not only with the members of their own party, but also with Democrats for not supporting McCarthy during his removal from the speakership. Democrats counter this by arguing that the Republicans have only themselves to blame for internal divisions that led to McCarthy's ouster. But one of McCarthy's true day one homies, Speaker Pro Tem Patrick McHenry of North Carolina, took retaliatory action by evicting Speaker Emeritus Nancy Pelosi and former House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer from their offices at the Capitol, claiming that Pelosi failed to keep a promise to back McCarthy in case his own party turned against him. Democrats reject accusations that they are responsible for McCarthy's fall, pointing to McCarthy's consistent yielding to the far-right factions of his party, including initiating an impeachment inquiry against President Biden and generally failing to negotiate with Democrats. You know, except for the time that he did right at the end. Republican representatives like Garrett Graves accuse the Democrats of enabling a small group of Republicans to execute this ouster. Meanwhile, Democrats contend that McCarthy's removal was only the result of his own strategic errors and the inevitable outcome of the internal divisions within the GOP. Um, look, I made this clear with Scripshaw. If you are only looking at self-preservation, only looking at self-preservation... I cannot understand why Hakeem Jeffries did what he did. I can't. I can't think of why. All the reasons why you would do it are very in the moment. And do not account for the fact that 
anybody who believes they are righteous will now have one standard to live up to, and that's Matt Gates. Matt Gates is it. Matt Gates is the new way that you prove you are loyal to a cause when you have no leverage, when you really want to demonstrate that you care that much. You fight for your vote to mean that there is a one vote motion to vacate. And when you don't get your way, you initiate that motion to vacate. And you basically hope, like Gates hoped with the Democrats, that they will humiliate somebody from the other side. That's what happened. And I think it's going to continue to happen. These things very rarely only happen to one party. Very, very, very rarely. When you start removing Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gozer from various different committees, then you're going to get Eric Swalwell and Ilhan Omar removed from committees. This will not go unanswered. And when somebody from the far left comes for a Democratic Speaker of the House, they will, I hope, think back to this moment and say, I don't know why we rewarded this kind of behavior. And that's if you are just purely self-preservational. If you are cynically political, that's the case. Finally, senior advisors to President Biden recently visited Saudi Arabia to discuss a potential mega deal that could involve a peace agreement between Saudi Arabia and Israel. Talks gained momentum after Biden's meeting with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, but several issues, including the Palestinian component, remain unresolved. Biden administration aims to secure the deal before the 2024 presidential campaign takes over its agenda. The talks encompass a range of elements, including potential U.S.-Saudi security agreement, the U.S. support for a Saudi civilization nuclear program, and approval for the advanced weapon sales to Saudi Arabia. While Israeli officials downplay Saudi Arabia's concerns for the Palestinian issues, sources insist that Riyadh seeks Israeli concessions to Palestinians. Long way away from uh, putting them in the role of pariah like they should for the Biden administration. That was the stance on Saudi Arabia during the campaign. A lot of finger pointing and fist slamming about Jamal Khashoggi. But Biden wants a big international win that isn't Ukraine because nobody knows how Ukraine's going to play by the time that the election hits. It's already kind of lost a little bit of its luster. Might be yesterday's news. Trump was very close to Saudi Arabia. And Biden wants to prove that he can also play in that realm. Will he? I don't know. Nothing really moves fast in the Biden State Department. They love meetings. Meetings about meetings so we can contemplate future meetings. They're not exactly the, what do I need to do to get you into this Honda Civic kind of car salesmanship that Trump was into. And that is your update. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Guys, look, this is for your own good. You want the latest on this stuff? One place to get it. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Sign up at the $3 level, two bonus podcasts. I'm going to tell you, this Sunday, Sunday, Sunday edition, 
is going to be one for the ages. One for the ages. There is going to be, there might be a fight. There might be a physical fight on Meet the Press. It's going to be wild. It's going to be nuts. Check it out. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Sign up at the $3 level. Our next guest wrote the book on modern campaigns. Literally, you can go find it. Search Amazon for his name. The one, the only Michael Cohen making his grand return to the program. So we can answer the question. Why do campaigns die? Welcome back to the show, Michael. How are you, sir? Oh, you know, uh, thankfully, we got some news. You know, I'm I'm still dealing with the fact that we have had two interrupted, if not stunted, primary cycles. We we had 2020, which was very cruelly ripped away from me. I was the real victim of of the COVID uh, lockdown because I was, this was really all about you. Well, yeah. you know, look, you can add to the, the 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 tragedy, obviously, economies wrecked, lives lost. But but really, I was out on the road covering this for the people of the PX3 listenership. Exactly. And, and that was taken away from me personally. And now and we, for the rest of us, too. I mean, and you know, exactly. We, well, live, you, we live for you. You know, I'm empathetic. I, I understand the suffering of others. Uh, uh, and now you have this primary that isn't you, you have a, a, a race that nobody at this point. We've kind of hit even with the debate last week. The moderators were struggling to take it seriously and they're financially invested in people watching it. Uh, So, so before we get into what I really want to talk about, which is how campaigns end and why campaigns end. uh, Give me your, your thoughts on, on just this primary in general. And, and if there's anything that is interesting to you as we lead into what should be the most exciting portion of the the primary the lead into iowa that doesn't seem to be all that crackling no this is campaign world war z i mean <laughs> there's no way um this is interesting to 90 percent of the people who are on this planet the rest of the 10 percent are listening to us on yes. the PX3 podcast. No, we are um, we are the sickos. We are the sickos. We are the gambling addicts that are betting on you know Troy versus Hawaii at one o'clock in the morning. Exactly. We're we're refreshing predicted to see if Nikki Haley can get up to nine cents. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Nine yeah. Um, here's what I think is going on. Number one, this was always going to be a campaign of of real historical consequence. You have two presidents running against each other. And on top of that, one of them decided to say he never lost. So to a certain extent, you have two incumbents, at least from a perceptual standpoint. You have the real incumbent and then you have the perceived incumbent by 74 million people. And so or some portion of them. And so it was always going to be very hard to dislodge Trump in a primary. Uh, and so, you know, all the other things that are going on right now, whether it's in the courtroom or on the campaign trail, have all reinforced what we already kind of knew. Yeah. So what we really are looking at right now 
it's a race among people at the kitty table, which is basically everyone but Trump. I think this is also buffeted and I don't know exactly how I'm going to say it. So I'll test I'll test drive it with you. I think I kind of really like Trump's campaign. I think Trump has run, you know, say what you will about him. And and I thought that he was the biggest boo-boo face loser of all time for the way he handled the end of the 2020 election. Sure. I thought that that was terrible. Uh, 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 and, and obviously many more very, very harsh things can and will and should be said about Donald Trump. But let's only look at it on the X's and O's. He's moderated to the point where I think he's out and out dared the evangelicals to vote against him on abortion. He is. He has said, I am a moderation candidate on this issue. I want to get people in the room. I want to settle abortion once and for all with pro-life and pro-choice people. That's a far cry from what we have understood. The standard of a pro-life candidate would be. He understood he had one logistical uh, a, a person to destroy. He went after him hard two months before Ron DeSantis even got out of bed. He wanted to pretend that he was still the super popular governor and not running for president. He has melted the entire field, including Ron DeSantis. And he hasn't even really taken a lot of flack on stuff that I think he probably could and should, including the fact that he, uh, in many ways engineered the 2022 uh the the 2022 failure of a red wave with uh uh the candidates that he chose and that he's been kind of a crazy person for a while but he seemed more sedate he seemed more you know for him presidential uh, uh less erratic and he's let his campaign do most of the buzzsawing. When, when you look at that and the fact that the numbers don't lie, I, I kind of don't hate his campaign. I think he's he's run about as well. I, I don't look at what he's done and say I, I, he obviously is making a mistake. And I've done that a bunch with Trump because he's so erratic. It's easy to do. Yeah, I mean, he's run. Strangely enough, all of these court cases around him and all the, the Michigas, um has really put together like constraints around him that he wouldn't normally have. Yeah. And so, you know, from a campaign standpoint, he did the thing that most leaders would do in the situation that he was in. He was, he was leading, but not by a lot. Mm -hmm. And he totally destroyed his number two to the point where, you know, on various days, Vivek Ravaswamy, you know, gets better polling than, um, Ron DeSantis and Ron DeSantis has all the money in the world. He's basically yeah. the Jeff Bush of the cycle and he just crushed him. And, you know, this is what happens when campaigns are smart. This is what happened with um, Obama and Romney. Romney yeah. didn't. Yeah. Romney was running a, a pretty laid back sort of, you know, patrician campaign um, until all of a sudden Obama drops millions of dollars on him, blows him up and then waits for the moment where Romney blows himself up, you know, off camera with a 47 percent, you know, comment or something like that. And, and so to a certain extent, when you're looking at Trump, Trump is making all the good moves that you would normally do yeah. for a candidate who is a mainstream Republican. You know, he says, OK, I know that abortion is nuclear. You know, you saw what happened on in 2022, which is not what the rest of the field saw. Yeah. So he saw that and said, OK, we got to pull back a little bit. Everyone else is trying to go to his right on it to try and find a lane. 
the problem is, is that all of the people who are running against him are trying to find some kind of answer to how to get um, traction against him without really roughing him up. I mean, other than saying, well, you, you should really debate, which he's not going to do. Why no. would you? Yeah. Um, you know, they, they really have nothing get, you know, at him other than Chris Christie calling him Donald Duck, which is, you know. It's a Hillary line. It was a Hillary yeah, line. Hillary it didn't work with line. Hillary. It's not going to work with you. You know, that no, is I mean, just because you're a jerk and, you know, and, and you go after people like, you know, Rubio. And now you're going after somebody off camera because he gave you COVID. I get it. Yeah. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, th- there's nothing there. There really is. There's no, there's no reason to vote for somebody else other than Trump. Um, if you're a Republican at this point. Unless you're never Trump and then you're always going to try and find a home anyway. And that's 10 to 15 percent of the party. And that's the big the big question is whether or not, you know, that element of the electorate finds any reason to hold their nose if Trump is the nominee. But we're getting far ahead of ourselves. Uh, yeah. That's that's all next. Uh, 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 well, I mean, at this rate, it'll be next week. Next but yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, normally it would be like next a uh, 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 March at, at the earliest. But but the way this is going, uh, one last thing. And I've been very critical of uh, the, the DeSantis campaign. I actually thought he had a good debate. He, he was he was kind of my winner of the debate for whatever that means at, at this strong. stage. Yeah, he, he closed. closed strong. Well, and I think he, when everyone was already gone, like they had left after the second or third break. And then DeSantis really had a very good answer on um, his JAG background and other yeah. things. And also you were just like, oh, that's the guy that people wanted to invest in. And then he just kind of like went away. Yeah. yeah, it was he showed he was the adult that could get it done. And in and in a very the 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 thing that I would describe that last campaign is just sweaty, just a lot of sweaty nervousness of people acting out of character. Mike Pence's eyes look so weird. Like, I don't know what was happening with the with with, with the lighting. But, you know, Vivek was a choir boy. All of a sudden, everybody else was like, no, no, no. My whole idea was fighting with you. So I'm going to fight with you no matter what. Uh, uh, Tim Scott, whoever green lights, an unmarried man going after a woman about curtains needs to be fired immediately. Right. And on like top of that, it wasn't even a good hit. Like it was actually. But like there was a retraction on the story that he was trying to hit yeah. her on. And so it wasn't even true. So so he he's literally going after a woman from his own state about curtains. And it wasn't even a thing. Like it was it was such a little mini scrum that you just sat there and you're like, these two people really hate each other for whatever reason. Yeah. Which is funny because she nominated. She put him in the she, the, she, she put him in the Senate. So I don't know. I mean, that that at this point, if I'm Trump. I basically look at that debate and I see a flea market. I see a garage sale of like, like, ah, I don't know. We're going to need, we're going to need one of the South Carolinians. Like which one? I don't know. Maybe Tim Scott would work in the bathroom. Nikki Haley looks better in the foyer. Like, uh, like, do we want to, that we used to love the DeSantis. Maybe like, is there, is there a, a thing down the road or is he too DeSantis for us at this point? Like that's, uh, that's what I think down. he looks at. He looks at everybody on there. And aside from Vivek, who is already, probably already has an itinerary for opening up Trump rallies from now until next November. Uh, uh, he's just picking and choosing on, on who, who and where and when does he want to let them on the arc? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, he's already destroyed all of them all. So that's his move. He, after he destroys you, he then says, OK, yeah, you can come back and 
be secretary of commerce or something and you know or just you know if if you're willing to kiss the ring um it, I, I mean from my perspective he's looking at this at that field and just going there's nothing here for me that i can't already get somewhere else so he basically went to walmart and decided he can go buy him a target yeah yeah hmm. i do think that there's there's a place and Nikki Haley has shown enough moral flexibility that she will probably go for it. But uh, there is a place for Nikki Haley to give that suburban never Trump, you know, will, you know, whether or not they were hold your nose Trump in 2016, they were a no on Trump because of COVID. Now we'll see if Biden is so underwater with uh, uh, so many people that like maybe that Nikki Haley is something that, especially suburban women seem to really respond to. We'll see how late she goes into the, in, in, into the race though. Yeah. She's not never Trump. She's just sort of like, ah, fine Trump. Well, <laughs> like that, yeah. That I mean, depending, depending on when, like, depending if, you, if I have to, Trump. depending on when you catch her, you know, and that's, and yeah. that's the thing. Trump has been nice. He'll be nice into a point where like that, that meet the press interview that he did where uh, uh, it was Kirsten Welker's first interview. And she, she fed him, she fed him one too many Nikki Haley quotes and Trump just said like, who's Nikki Haley? And I like Nikki. I like Nikki. But who is she? Honestly. Yeah. Uh, All right. Now who he really, let's close this out by saying, okay, the winner of the debate was obviously Trump. But it was also Christy Nome who bought time um, <laughs> to pump up her state and to remind everybody that she is available and not on the stage. And this is the person that he really wants to pick because she was talking about putting on Mount Rushmore. And so that's there's nothing else that um, Trump likes more than being talked about in historical terms. Well, and th- this so, and this this gets back to a conversation. Corey Lewandowski, you know, um, you well, know, oh. un- is unavoidable. So Lewandowski. Holy moly! The game, the game on this guy. He, he on this guy. Unbelievable. He's he's a he's a he's got a wandering eye. That Lewandowski. I I don't know how he gets these women to wander. Like that. That's the big story here. Is you not, know he doesn't not, seem not wandering. It's the it's the how he's getting them to wander to him. He d- doesn't seem like a natural charmer. You know, he doesn't doesn't seem like he has that charisma, but uh, he's got something because he's he has made his way through uh, uh, the 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 CPAC roster. uh, (laughs) It it, it seems. All right. Enough of the gossip. Let's get into what uh, what I what I what I wanted to really talk to you about. And that is as somebody that is very, very experienced and understands the actual way that campaigns work. There's a lot of narrative around campaigns. There's a lot of the way that we talk about getting into campaigns. Like, oh, I've been called by America. I had a very stirring conversation with my family and they convinced me to run or or my uh, dying sons that I shouldn't run. There's a lot of the, the narrative that goes into it. And then there's the reality and the reality often tends to be when you get in money, there are donors that want to give you money. There's a party that wants to give you money. So you run. And in the same way on the way out, well, my country calls, uh, it is time for us to lay down. The reality of when campaigns end are when the checks stop clearing, right? Um, sometimes. Um, okay. Okay. In most cases, 
right now because you can raise so much money individually um, that it's not even really the parties, it's not even really the big groups. Um, it may be just a handful of donors who believe in you. Or it may just be that you're really good at fundraising online. Yeah. I mean, so this, so what that does really more than anything else is it keeps people in the race who really should have left a long time ago. I mean, you saw this 25 in 2015, 2016 with all the guys who were in there thinking that they were going to be Trump. They still had some money left. They still had some things to do. So like they stayed in there longer than they should have. And they, because they had enough money to float. But in this case, you know, now everyone could raise a, a ton of money. So you end up staying in races much longer than you really should have. And frankly, than you would have 20 years ago. That's the biggest problem right now with the field, for example, with um, the GOP field, is that most of them have enough money just to be dangerous enough to stay in or to be dangerous enough to look in the mirror and say, I got a shot. Well, and that's. Brings us to something that's going to happen in the next week and change, and that is the third quarter FEC filing. And that is that is where everybody's going to have to, you know, uh, uh, take a a fiscally speaking naked picture and post it on the Internet. And when we are going to and we are going to find out exactly where everybody is. I suspect that we are going there. This is the, the premise for why I wanted to bring you on was I think we're going to see a lot of dropouts this month. I think that uh, October is going to be a very spooky season, not only for the Halloween uh, crowd, but also, I mean, there are some people that probably should have dropped out a week ago. As soon as Asa Hutchinson uh-huh. knows that he's not going to be on that debate stage, homie, you're, you're not getting back on. And and the very yeah. worth of these debates are are declining rapidly. So I would expect him out. And I would expect some of the people that were up there on that stage that, look, do you want to release a super embarrassing FEC report and then go through that long winter? You really want to be in Cedar Rapids at a pizza ranch at, at you know, one o'clock in the afternoon when you had to dig your way out of your uh, Holiday Inn Express and you're going to shake hands with three people that wanted to show up with you. Is that really how you want to spend so you can come in seventh at, at, at the caucus? Like, I, I feel like there's going to be a very, you know, Dostoevsky level grim reality that is going to set in for a lot of that crowd. And I would expect that the money is the thing, the FEC report is going to be one of those things that pushes them out. So here's what I think is really going to happen. You're going to have a combination of factors that are going to force people out. You're going to force people out. Um, certainly money will be a factor. But beyond that, it's going to be pretty obvious that these debates are not culling the herd on their own. So people are going to have to start talking. So number one, you know, you got to look at people like, you know, Asa Hutchinson, who didn't make the, um, debate stage he's got to he's got to wake up his mouth coffee he's still governor or something might as well stay um doug time for him to go um my boy mike pence um it's time for him to to um have another conversation with god and yeah. decide that it's time to go um you know I, or I apparently think- or apparently sleep with his teacher wife which was among the more yeah. surprising elements of the debate was mike pence being an i sleep with my wife guy on national television something that i don't think a lot of people had on their bingo card yeah no i didn't um but i also recognized that there was a specific word he used instead of another word and <laughs> the fact that he's sleeping with his wife for 38 years does not surprise me yeah if anything else is going on <laughs> surprise me. But, yeah 
Yeah. I mean, you know, guys like us might talk about sleeping in a different way. Sure. Guys like I talk about sleeping in a very different way. In a very different so, way. Yeah. 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 They're sharing a bed together. That's what's going on. Um, beyond that, I have no idea. I would imagine I two, two, two uh, uh, twin beds next to each other, like a 1950s sitcom. Yeah. I mean, th- there might even be, you know, plexiglass, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, you know, he's got to ask permission. You know, sure. That kind of thing. Um, anyway, point being, um, not that permission is bad, but, um, you know, he might need permission to walk around the plexiglass to go to the bathroom. <laughs> um, but Mike Pence really, I think, was in this race. And this is going back to my, the thing that I wrote a couple, couple of years ago before Pence ran. I thought he was in it to try and draw Trump out and to get that moment on the stage with him. I thought he was trying to get to a place where he could rebrand himself. I think he understands he's not going to get Trump on the stage. The best thing he can do is what he's already done twice, which is sort of be like, hi, I'm Mike Pence. Remember me? I was good. And so I think that that was mission accomplished as far as he's going to be able to go. Anything more is diminishing returns. So I think he is the person that really should drop um, of who is of consequence at this point, who is at least closer to the middle. The other one who I think should leave um, should be Chris Christie. Chris Christie has done enough that he he knows he's not going to get Trump. He's not going to be able to goad him on to the stage. Yeah. Just drop out and start the steamroll to um, endorse Nikki Haley or something like that. Like it's the most important thing that Chris Christie did in the previous cycle was endorse somebody. Maybe the most important thing that he's able to do this time is the same thing here, which is to make something interesting. And then ding. No, the the weird thing here though is that nobody's dinged up on um, DeSantis enough that he's going to drop completely. So he's going to be in for a while. Vivek's going to be in for a while because Vivek loves Vivek and. That's about it. No one. And, you know, a couple of the candidates will probably stick around. But you're right. We should be down to about half the stage um, if there is another debate. Um, and everyone should start. He- you're going to start hearing the stories being written about, OK, who who's going to drop out soon? Because yeah. if they don't, then no one's going to be able to coalesce around another candidate. And we all know what happens when that happens. You get you get Trump again. So even though Trump's going to happen, yeah. this is what's going to happen between now and then because we got we got to talk about something. So let's look at those decision gates. With the primaries coming up, Iowa is your, you know, last call if you're an evangelical candidate, right? Like uh, Iowa on the Republican side is overrepresentative with evangelicals you you get false positives of people all the time that win iowa and then don't uh get the nomination because ted yeah. yeah ted cruz mike huckabee blah 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 right yeah. uh then you have uh new hampshire that's the last call for moderates if you are right. the the off the beaten path you're not going to speak to all the churches you're not going to take a hard line on abortion but you are low taxes uh, fiscal responsibility guy then New Hampshire's your last call. We have two South Carolinians on the ballot. And, and by the way, when you're in North Carolina, I'm, I'm sorry, New Hampshire, um, they favor independent thinking there. Okay. So a McCain can win there. The other people. Can win. So that's something to keep in your mind. That it's not just non-evangelical or just straight up, you know, conservative. It's also sort of like an independent thinker. So the question is, is like, who is that person? And I think Chris Christie believes he's that person right now, but he's not. 
I have a suspicion that Chris Christie only got in this race because Steve Cohen, the owner of the Mets, saw his team totally fall apart and needed something to do this summer. And so he was just like, can I please just pay you money, Chris, so you can yell at Trump because I'm very frustrated with Trump. Uh, yeah. uh, please I'd like yell at my team, but I can't. I'd rather yell at somebody. So yeah, look, if I'm already burning a pile of money like I am on the Mets this year, I might as well, well be burning another couple. Yeah, yeah, another 20 million with you. So go ahead. Yeah. Get out there, kid. Have a fun time. <laughs> Uh, Now now that the baseball season's over, I feel like uh, the party's about to stop for him. Then you have Mm -hmm. Nevada, which is essentially a week trip to Vegas where, you know, uh, they're going to speak to normally on the Democratic side. That's a test for the culinary union and and that kind of stuff. But uh, with the Republicans, it's, you know, it's, it's all in Clark County. Who cares? And then South Carolina is the last stop before Super Tuesday. And I, I don't suspect I would be shocked if anybody else makes it to super Tuesday. And if anybody does it, I can't imagine anybody, but DeSantis, that would be the only person that I would, that I would imagine doing it that just has the money. And, uh, you know, this, the one thing that I can say about DeSantis is that while he has not done great, he has indeed wilted, in general, he's wilted in proportion with the rest of that field. It's not like normally in a, in a primary, you see the, the, the two weeks where America's trying out different right. candidates, yeah. right? You haven't really seen that. It's been almost in proportion uh, all the way down to the point where now DeSantis is RCP around 15 and everybody else is about six points below it. Yeah, and to your point about, about that, I mean, Vivek was tried out um, and his numbers bumped up from like 2% to 5%. Yeah. Like that, like that was the trial period. It was basically 3% people who were like looking around for somebody else. And the rest of them, are, you know, have got somebody. Um, I would say to you this is that we may end up in a three candidate race um, between now and then. And I think Nikki Haley is that one candidate who probably could hang in there as the um, de facto, if not. Well, I mean, well. As in the person who thinks that she's a never Trumper, yeah. um, because I think what will happen is, is that she will stay in long enough because she's she's actually rising. She's doing OK. I um, mean, she's got money that's coming in. So she's got a reason to stay in. Um, and we'll see, you know, if there's another debate, she's got to take hits at, at DeSantis. Otherwise, she's not the number two. And so she's got to find a way from where she is right now to number two. And the only person standing in her way is, you know, a Florida man. Well, yeah. And that's, I mean, look, it, it, it's, it's a low bar, but it's been a bar that nobody seems to have been able to, to, to climb. And that's, you know, if you, well, Nikki, Nikki, Nikki hit him on fracking, uh, uh, which is, is like, you know, great in Pennsylvania, you know, but they're not right for Pennsylvania Senate, you know, I mean, yeah. So, so do you, low, 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 how many people I mean, are on the ballot out. by Iowa? By Iowa, it could be three or four. I think so I mean, too. I, I think, I think if, if people are acting rationally, which is not a given, we're, we're talking about politics here and we're not just talking about politics. We're talking about politics, politics, politics. Here. Exactly. All three of them. So it's not rational. No. Um, but if, if we end up in a rational situation where they realize, okay, we, we've got to call the herd. We're at three or four candidates, three probably are real one very real to want to be real and one not real, you know? All right. Last thing here, 
because this is something that we went back and forth with on Twitter and we mentioned it a little bit earlier in the interview, but I want to circle back. I've been kind of blown away that there hasn't been more ink spilled on the the evaporation of the evangelical position on abortion in this cycle. When you look at the guys that are in the churches, that are in the pews, Mike Pence, Asa Hutchinson, Tim Scott, they're the ones that are all up and down Iowa right now, going to every Sunday school and talking to everybody. They're learning every cat's name of every church lady in Iowa. Their position is essentially Francis on abortion. Like, like their, their position I think is like one week more liberal than France. It's a nationwide 15 week uh, uh, abortion thing that is granted more restrictive than uh, uh, New York and California and stuff like that. But it is, it is less restrictive than Florida. It is less restrictive than much of the deep South. And they are saying a national law on that. If you were to go back 10 years and you were to ask any presidential candidate that described themselves as pro-life Roe versus Wade is gone tomorrow. What is your position? I think if they said at an evangelical conference, 15 weeks nationwide law, they'd get booed. And now that's the extreme position. That's, that's, that's where the evangelicals are. I, I, I'm fascinated to see whether or not Trump's gambit pays off. He's daring them vote for somebody else. I dare you. I'm, I'm, I'm promising you guys nothing on this vote for somebody else. I'm curious whether or not they do in, in Iowa or, or if, if that starts to get baked in as we get closer to the caucus, what are your thoughts? So here's what I think the politics of um, abortion has shifted. So in a post row era, Everything's on statewide, right? Yeah. So if you are an evangelical who lives in Iowa, you're getting what you want. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're an evangelical in New York, you're not, but you understand you're in New York. So who did the thing that you wanted? It was Trump. He returned it to the states. And so if you are really passionate about this, chances are you have self-selected to living in a state that has already enacted some kind of restrictions beyond road. Yeah. So, so you're actually happy. Like you're not unhappy because you you've always wanted this to go back to the States because you knew that if it went back to the States, you would get what you want. As it turns out, a lot of States really have have done that. And so the idea that we're going to go to a nationwide ban is now back to the metaphysical, which is, okay, well, we could lose all of this if they somehow reenact Roe. Well, reenacting Roe is really, I mean, that's, that's not going to happen. happen. It's no. just not going to happen. It's not going to happen with this court. It's not going to happen nationally. It's not going to happen. It's, it's gone. It's gone. It's over. Right. So, so since it's over, the question is, what's the new default? The new default in Iowa is what they wanted. The new default in Florida is what they're getting. You know, the new default in California is, you know, pre-row. And so you end up in a situation where the most passionate GOP primary voters are happy. And they're happy. Why? Because Trump appointed, you know, Supreme Court justices that overturned Roe. So that's why you're really happy if you're an evangelical voter and you sort of look at all the other stuff around Trump and you're like, well, I got I got what I really wanted for the past 25 years, which is Roe being blown away and then me getting choice as to how we govern, you know, that issue in my own state. Yeah. When you look at that 
as just a key issue for such a reliable voting block, it feels like the engine being taken out of a car. Like if, if you're going to think of, uh, you know, the, the coalition that elects a president from a Republican or a Democratic standpoint, and all of them are different cars and trucks in a caravan going forward. What is the evangelical side of the Republican Party anymore? Do they have the same power that they had before without the Roe versus Wade thing? Because it seems like on the left, abortion is still something very much that animates voters. At least it did in 2022. But on the right, I think you're right. This is just. They won. They were they were the the, 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 the dog that caught the car. This is what it looks like when a social movement wins. The social movement kind of dissipates because yeah. you've won. It, it's very different than when you've lost. And so the anti, um, the anti, anti, you know, rows are now saying, well, oh my God, we lost. I can't believe we lost. What do we do? And so now yeah. they're all animated. They're going to the polls. Whereas like you have the evangelicals, who used to be such a huge powerhouse in the Republican Party. They now are just sort of, you know, we're GOP voters. We got what we wanted. And now I just want people to be nice or I want people to be nice to me, you know, or I, I want to protect what I have. But that's not as powerful as I need to go and fight something. Defending is very different than fighting something. We just saw this for the past 25 years with Democrats who always would say, if you elect Republicans, you're going to you go, you're going to lose row. You're going to lose row. You're going to lose row. And it wouldn't animate enough people to actually go ahead and protect Roe. It's much more difficult to protect something in democracy than to yeah. go and try and take it down from an electoral standpoint to go and animate a base. Um, you know, of course you need 50 plus one, or if you're in the Senate, you need Mitch McConnell, you know, who was yeah. willing to bend certain rules to his will, um, which he did. Um, so that's where we are at this point. You're at a point right now where Democrats are more animated on that issue than Republicans because Republicans won. And I don't know what the new issue is for evangelicals because we we're already sort of moved yeah, on from what was the other issue, which was marriage, which was gay marriage. That that used to be the other thing that that could get them out of the house. And now abortion settled. They won. We seem to have moved on from from gay marriage. It's now the law of the land voted bipartisan. So, you know, that's that's, that's something. I mean, if you look at from the the, the Reagan revolution to now as like, all right, that was the high tide of evangelical voting power in America. It is, yeah. it is, it is fascinating to see because I, I can't think of another thing, you know, that, cause I wouldn't even put, you know, some of the, 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 you know, parents, trans rights, you know, like the trans kids thing, like that to me seems more mainstream than simply evangelical that, that, you know, you know, you see every, you know, you see Chris Christie talking about that and then he is not trying to go for those those voters. So I don't know. I, I don't know what the issue is. And it, it is more animating for them than it is for your usual standard bearer Republicans. So in other words, if you had, um, let's say, some kind of referenda in a state on those issues, you probably could pull out more evangelicals than you would. Yeah. normally. So that's that's really the thing. Like you basically go back to the future where. Um, you know, these sort of referenda would pull out elements of a party um, to either protect something or to fight something for, for something. And those will be other things to, to bring people to the polls, not just the candidates, 
because yeah. the candidates themselves are not going to be enough to do it. It'll be these sort of like very specific issues. Like, for example, if in Virginia they decided to do some kind of parents' rights thing on, you know, re- referendum one, I can tell you that Loudoun County, Virginia, right here in the battleground, um, that would animate a lot of people. And, you know, right now we're going to get a good test in Virginia yep. as to what's going on with abortion uh, in our legislative uh, session later on. So we'll see. Well, and that's, and that's what I was going to say is that right now, right now, yeah. <laughs> right now, a lot of those issues to me, uh, the Republicans have the poll position on them because they have, right. they have framed it as parents' rights. And if, right. as long as it is underneath that tent of parents' rights, they will be able to get people from the suburbs to go vote for it that wouldn't otherwise. And I would submit as proof that fateful night in Virginia in 2021 in November, where parents' rights turn that entire election around. So I will ask you this on the way out. Sure. The only game in town in terms of actual voting that will happen this year leading into next year is what's happening in Virginia. What's your prediction? I think uh, Democrats are going to hold some foothold in the in the state. I think uh, the Yunkin the Boomlet is over. Um, yep. and he will run for Senate and probably be the next senator of Virginia. So he's the winner, not necessarily the Virginia Republican Party uh, that he is. He is the he is the the the, the sweater vest uh, 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 brand comes out on top, not necessarily the party. I mean, sometimes when you lose, you really win. Right. What yeah. you can't. And so um, everyone should, by the way, watch that movie. It's a great movie. Um, <laughs> and the point is, is that I think you're right. He wins. Um, the Commonwealth sort of holds its own purplish kind of hue. And um, he just moves on and, and takes out, um, you know, one of the two senators next coming up. He's probably the most um, respected statewide politician on the Republican side that I've seen probably 15, 20 years. He's not dumb enough to run for president, is he? No, no. In fact, he, he's smart enough to say to not say no <laughs> yeah. for a long time until he has to. And so I think eventually it will, um, you know, events will confound his race to that. Um, but I think it'll it'll be fine. Yeah, this is all a a, a high dollar uh, fundraiser um, thing that they're yeah. just trying to find a way a place to put money. I to yeah. Look, I, I understand DeSantis running. I understand a lot of people running. It's okay to be lemming one through 10 walking off the cliff. Uh, uh, Youngkin seems too smart to be lemming number 25 to walk off the cliff yeah. when it's obvious where it's going. And when you're trying to knock out a um, an incumbent senator, that's a hard race. So you want to put yeah. your full attention into that. And so he's going to need that time to get reorganized, raise more money again, get everybody back on the bandwagon. And he can tell them, look, I'm a young man. You know, I can run for Senate and I can run for president. You know, so you keep these people engaged. Michael Cohen, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's great to have you back on the show. I'm glad to see you doing well. I know all of our audience. Uh, last time we heard from you, you were you were recovering. And it is amazing to see you as uh, uh, up and awesome as you are. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. And thank you to everybody, um, you know, who's been so great to me from the audience and you know we really appreciate everyone who listens to the podcast and everyone who's really been rooting for both of us i really appreciate it and that'll wrap it up for us today politics 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 written and hosted by me justin robert young for dog and pony show audio in austin texas our show is edited by brett stewart you can thank michael cohen for coming on the show 
px3guest.com. Send me an email, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Twitter is px3tweets. For the show, Justin R. Young for me. Find me live on Twitch, px3live.com. Share this show, px3podcast.com. We are totally independent. We rely on you. You, the listener of this program. If you want to give me a buck, say, hey, man, nice job today. PayPal.me slash payjury if you got some cash and PayPal. The Venmo is Justin-Young-20. Cash app is PX3Cash. And you can send me a check. Your box, 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, that is Post Office Box, 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Now, the only place you can get our bonus content is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week, covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule. And our $10 tier gets your name right at the end of the podcast, like these fine folks in the Titanic. Ten. Dollar tier. Ye old pinball shop. John TP4 Bongo, Sam, John, Edwin, Kathy, Mac, and Vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Brian, Edison, Jeremy, a dog named Checkers. Sarah Genie, Matthew, Dr. G, Neil, his nerdiness, Charles, Darren, Idris Arslanian, Berkeley, Stephen, Nomadic, Terran, Molly's delightful demeanor. Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Brad, D-Laser, Nick Wood, Just Another Pilot, Middle-Aged Mike, Utah, Jimmy Montana, The Jen, D. Really, Chopper, and Andrew. You want your name right on this show. Only one place to do it. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Have a restful week. We got a barn burner of a week coming up next week. It's an absolute freak show baby speaker drama we're gonna have the we're coming up on the deadline for third quarter fec filings which i think like i mentioned in the show is going to be a time when people need to think twice about whether they're in this race or they're just farting around i'd see a dropout i don't know i'm telling you i can Smells the stench of death in the air when it comes to this GOP primary. We got some campaign undertaker action soon. I can feel it in my bones. Till then, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, some shows talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this is the only one that dares discuss all three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.